Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode nine of Time Added On for Sausages, the football podcast up to a point. My name's Kevin Boris. I'm joined, as ever, by my accomplice in this bizarre project by Paul Finney. How are you doing, Paul? I'm not too bad, big man. Surviving the lockdown. Putting loads of weight on. And I'm going to be humongous by the end of this. But yeah, I'm alive. And that's what matters. Do you know what's something weird? I've lost five pounds in weight since the lockdown. Jesus. I don't know how that's possible. Because all I've done is sit at my desk in my home and work and then occasionally move to the kitchen. Five pounds. Don't know how it's possible. I lost a tenner once in Camden. Does that count? No, but you've told me that story and it's not suitable for a, um, an all-ages <laughs> podcast. Probably. We're going to move on. Crack on. <clears throat> so we do have our usual thing. We've got um, a Paul Hutton anecdote and we're hearing later on from a supporter of Sparta Rotterdam, Rotterdam's third club. A guy called Eric Van Shake, you'll hear from him, um, which we recorded in January. Let me point this out, because we were talking about league positions and things. I'm not going to go through, we're not going to go through and edit all bits out. We recorded that earlier. The interview we did in episode eight with David Alexander from Clyde FC, we also recorded earlier in the year, just to make sure that we are about things that are current. But we're not going to change it, we're not going to edit stuff out, because we, we haven't got the time. Come here, Paul. Anyway, right. So, as we did in episode eight, we are joined by a special guest. So, let's give a big sausage welcome to Oxford United's Jamie Mackey. How are you doing? Afternoon, lads. How are we? You okay? Yes. We're all right. Thank you for yeah, joining. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You missed out saying and QPR legend as well. I hadn't got that. <laughs> I hadn't got that. All right. Anyway, so we do have some links with Jamie. Paul obviously has a big link with Jamie in that uh, Jamie's played for QPR twice. Paul, if you haven't heard this podcast before, it is a general football podcast. I support AFC Wimbledon, Paul supports QPR, and uh, never the twain shall meet. And we'll probably never play each other. But Jamie Mackey has played, I believe, 129 games of Queen's Park Rangers in two spells. I can, yes, yep. I can count. That's correct. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's your link. You've seen Jamie play a lot of games. My link is a bit tenuous. We're not going to go there, but Jamie did start his career at Wimbledon. But yeah, we'll move on from that. Also, though, Jamie did go to school at the school that my girlfriend's daughter's just got into so in Dorking. So that's bizarre. That's quite a link, isn't it? So, Jamie, quickly, for anyone listening to this that has a child going to Ashcombe School in Dorking in September, can you recommend the school? I definitely can recommend that school. Um, great, great place to live, uh, and I was very lucky to uh, grow up there. So, and a very good school at the time. I probably didn't say that because I never wanted to be in school. I just wanted to be playing football. But I did go there, and I've still got great friends who went there together, and all, all my family went there. So, great school, and um, I hope she enjoys the um, the ride from from September. I guess. Well, let's hope so. I'll, well, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make sure they all listen to this, <laughs> that they can actually find out. Yeah, and yeah, an actual yeah. other real person is saying it's a good school, not just someone who works for the school that's going to sell them the place. No, anyway. it, is, it is a good school. Good. Thank you for that. Um, what was that? I'm making a that coffee. Crack on. Oh, you're nice. making a coffee live on... Is it, not saying that we're not professional, but you're making a coffee in a coffee machine in your home. While Don't. I've got the best coffee machine ever. I'm addicted to it. It's a... Oh, don't. It's just the best. Okay. So we always talk to our guests. Where about... You don't have to give us your full address, Jamie. Whereabouts are you joining us from? Where do you live? So I live in Chiswick in London. So Ah. we moved here as a family 10 years ago now. um, When I first signed for QPR and we we loved it. 
from when we first uh, moved here and um, yeah we, we we live here now so we we absolutely love it and um, the kids go to school uh, around here so um, yeah that's us this this is our base and uh, we hope to be here kind of forever this is this is where we love so brilliant. So how did that work when you joined Nutland Forest then? So when I joined yeah so um, I actually had an apartment in Nottingham uh, so obviously I was up there most of the time um, but the family were pretty young still when I went to Nottingham so they were kind of based down here and would would come up and the, the kids weren't going to school at the time because they were a bit younger so uh, most of my time obviously in the week was at Nottingham but obviously we get days off and stuff when we had days off I'd I'd come up and down so it was um, it was fine because it's hard to kind of for a football career relocate we've been lucky where we haven't actually had to uh, apart from the the Nottingham one but it was they were so settled here it just made more sense that they stayed so um I was up there most of the week and and it worked fine good now I've got another I've got two more questions Paul's going to take over this because obviously you've, Paul is uh spent most of his a lot of his time watching I, I have I haven't stirred my coffee yet keep us talking saying, okay right there's two there's two things there so you have also played for the team that is nearest to me is the Crow Flies you spent about a month on loan at Sutton United in about 15 years ago so how did that come about and did you enjoy playing for Sutton United I did yeah I, I mean I was there because I I'd started off at Wimbledon and we were in the championships. I was 18 when I made my debut. And then uh, they obviously moved and it became MK Duns. And I, I was a young player and probably I wasn't ready to be in the first team, being, being brutally honest. Um, I did do well when I first got in there, but um, I had a hell of a lot to learn. Um, I was very raw, uh, very naive to the game. So I had a lot of work to do. And I then went to Exeter, who were in the conference at the time. Really, really good club and a great setup and a full time for for a conference. And, and my friend was the manager, and basically I just was practicing and practicing. And rather than playing games, I was really learning my learning my trade and and practicing. So I um, I had a, I had a brief uh, stint to to get some games when I was younger and uh, loved it. And I was only there a month, I think. And um, but it was good. I played games and I went back and played Brexit and and then cracked on from there. So yeah, I did play for them and I enjoyed it. So, the next question is, you are one of, I don't know how many people have done this, very, very few people have gone from Arsenal to Spurs, even less have gone from Celtic to Rangers and vice versa. You went from Exeter to Plymouth. There's very, very few Ooh. players that have done that all the other way around. When you joined... There is, yeah. Did you, was that, did you have to really think, I'm not sure I can, as an Exeter player, I'm not sure I can do this. Or do you just think, business decision, it's more money, they're a higher division, go. How do you think yeah, about it? Yeah, I... Being totally honest with you, and this doesn't, uh, you know, I mean, no disrespect about this, is that uh, I took about 30, not a millisecond probably, shall we say, to decide I wanted to leave because, not because anything to do with the rivalry, I understood that, but at the time, Exeter were in the conference. So they were in non-league, essentially. A uh, very, very good club, like I say. And I, 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 you know, for the record, everyone knows I loved playing for them because, I, I was playing at the time with lads who I'm, I'm really close to now. I made great friends and I, and I really, really learned my trade there playing for them. And I scored goals. And I, at the time, Plymouth were in the championship. So basically, I had the chance to miss all the divisions and get straight back to the championship, which I hadn't been in for two years. And I made my debut. And so there wasn't even a decision to be, to be made in terms of yeah. 
uh, loyalty or fan base. It was just, and I think, although it was potentially tough for fans to realise I'm going to play for Plymouth, I think any one of them in, well, I say that, I mean, if they're Exeter fans, they probably didn't want to play for Plymouth, but um, as a a business decision and like the, the ambition that I had, to get from miss all the divisions and be in the championship at a, at a club which had a higher fan base and was a good club in the championship at the time, there was no decision to be made. I had to go, so I did that and then cracked on. But I got a lot of stick for it. I got a lot of stick for it, that's for sure. But I didn't yes. care. I didn't care because I was ruthless and I, I wanted to play in the Premier League and that was my, my, my goal even then. And I had the chance, like I say, to miss the divisions. And they went on and got promotion um, twice and, and, and uh, they, they've had a lot of good players come through there. So they've done great themselves. But people forget, football fans forget, they see you with, an, with their shirt on your back and a number and they see you on a Saturday afternoon or Tuesday evening and they don't... It's very difficult for people to realise that you're just a normal person that happens to do the job that they would love to do. And then you have to make normal decisions about, yeah, I I wouldn't mind joining that team, but my kids are at school close by. I don't want to uproot them. I'll give you a great example. Danny Kedwell was was probably a a favourite player we've ever had um, in terms of his attitude and what he brought to the team. A fantastic player. Got promoted into the Football League in 2011 thinking oh, he's going to be great next season in League Two, and then he asked to leave. And the reason he asked to leave was he, would live, he was living in Raynham in Kent, coming to New Malden every day for training. His youngest son, sorry, his only son at that point, had just become old enough to go to school. And he said, I don't want to miss taking my son to school. I want to, take, I want to be a normal dad and drop him off to school. And I can't do that if I'm playing 60 miles away, three hours in the traffic. And that's the reason, one of the, reasons, the main reason he left, because he wanted to take his kid to school. And you kind of think, oh, yeah, you're a normal person with a normal life, other than playing football. That's just a normal person's thing, isn't it? Everyone wants to do Yeah, I, and his decision, I like, totally understand that. Like, and I'm yeah. sure when fans get the opportunity to reflect, they, in an individual sort of basis, and if they're at home, they completely mm-hmm. understand. But at the same yeah. time, I do get the get the fans standpoint because let's take my example they they were playing I was playing for Exeter now Exeter in in the town there uh in the city sorry they Exeter is everything to them and going down the road the only place you can go further south to go and play against their biggest rivals they're gonna hate you I I get that like I'd be to be honest with you to start with you'd be the same wouldn't you because there isn't anything without the passion of fans and the loyalty uh that fans show to them club so I do I totally get it and if they weren't like that then it'd all be a bit boring wouldn't it if I didn't get any stick for leaving to go to your rivals and they just went great idea Jamie go and play for Plymouth I mean come on what is that that's not football is it I wouldn't want it to be I wouldn't want it to be that way I love it the way the passion the rivalry that's what it's about but ultimately I had to take the decision to be ruthless with my own career and it panned out the way I wanted it to because I ended up in the Premier League so it was it was the route that I saw the quickest and best way for me to get to the Premier League, and it worked out that way. So, but I totally understand if they all completely hate me because I went to Plymouth. I, I totally understand that, and I respect that because they they are very loyal to their own football club, and it should be like that. Yeah, I think that must make that, that tribal things. But sorry, I will let Paul in a minute. So we were talking about with, I was talking with uh, other uh, fans that you were coming on. Um, um, we were talking about the game that you played against us in January. October, yeah, January. Big, big win for us. We scored was, a goal. Like, yeah, we put a second at the time, or top even. Like so, it started us. Um, it put us in a good place. Tough 
really tough place to go and play and we, we got a really good result. We kind of dug in a bit that day and got a good result, yeah. Well, with the, we, Sam, look at, we're looking back on the season. We're all thinking the season won't continue, by the way. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we're saying, about what was the game? Games where you go away from a match that you've won, thinking, Christ, how do we win that? Games where you come away losing, thinking, how on earth did we lose that? But the game against you guys was the one game we thought, yep, they were better than us. Oxford, you play, the, play us off the pitch. You deserve to win that game. But one thing was, <laughs> we were talking about was the amount of stick you got in that game, not because of your <laughs> clubs, but because the amount of time, I'm going to put it in the amount of time you spent talking with the referee, right? So often we come away hating the referee for, for a match. And I, my friends are saying, it's not often I feel sorry for a referee in a match. <laughs> but the amount of, how, can you imagine what that referee must be like? Oh, Mackie's coming towards me again. However, the question was then was, but would you want him to play for our team? And the, the answer was, oh, yeah. It was just it was one of those things where everyone respected what you did. And we don't, Wimbledon don't have a player who does what you do in that sense of getting in people's faces. Maybe Scott Wagstaff does. I know fans who listen to this that aren't Wimbledon supporters probably don't want to know this, but that's the one I think what Wimbledon are missing is a player like you who just doesn't stop getting in the players' faces and don't stop the referee. Is that a deliberate thing? Or was that your, were you like that when you were 10? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably as a character that is as that is me in general, and um, uh, throughout my career, I've been very competitive and um, uh, try to find any way to win, kind of within within the rules, kind of. Um, but I basically, I think you know, at my age now, I'm I'm buzzing. I'm still playing football, and I keep myself in good shape. So it's my passion for the game, but. I play in a very, very talented side um, at Oxford, but fairly young. Now, the manager obviously knows that um, I'm on the back end of my career now, but also appreciates that um, I can do maybe a different job that someone not as experienced would be able to do. So I get used, I get used when needed. That's my role, but my role is to be around and help influence the yeah. change room. And I, I, I love that. I love that role because um, I can't give the same output um, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, like I used to do in my prime, as it were, at mm-hmm. an age, because you just can't do that. So I can influence the game in a different way now. And that's why our manager's got a really good blend of having sort of me there and a couple of other senior players, then with loads of energy and loads of talent around us. We're, we're used when needed. And on, on that particular game, um, I, I was captain that day. So uh, which I'm not, I'm not captain of the football club. John Messino is, and he's, he's a great captain and a really good leader. So uh, if he doesn't play and I, I end up playing one game, then quite often the manager will give me the armband. And that's part of the role as well, you know, when you're captain is to, to try and control the game. I mean, uh, you, the referee's job is obviously to do that. But within that, you can, you can influence decisions and you can be smart about how you play. And that's just my role. So on that day, um, you know, some of the players on show were brilliant and we, we played really well. We moved the ball well that day. Um, but in the end, we still had to dig deep and, and battle is a tough, tough place to go. And I think that's the message. Um, I've only played there twice now, being at Oxford t- two seasons and both yeah. both times. That was the message going into the game, being honest, that this is going to be a game where you're going to have to use all your game management. And like I say, again, in, in, a, in a youngish team who hasn't got loads of experience, I have to come to the fore and use, use every bit of game management I've got. So that's basically my role. Okay, cool. So, Paul, there is, I'm going to bring you in now, of course, so I've tried to hog this, but there is a great link between your background, Paul, and Oxford, because I think the best player I've seen, actually, 
The two best players I've seen in League One this season is Conor Ronan at Blackpool, who's on loan from Wolves, who looks like he should be playing for Juventus. Extraordinary young player. And mm. the best performance against us so far this season was by Mark Sykes at Oxford, who is who they signed from um, the Irish League, I believe. Yeah, Glenavon. Not, um, not my team, Glen Torrance, sadly. No, but, Glen- Glen- have- but Glenavon's my team, as you well know. Yeah, someone has to like him. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the... Um, I didn't realise the other guy at Blackpool was known. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Connor Ronan. I, I'm not sure where he's from, but he's, he's on loan from Wolves and just different levels. Oh, I see. Sorry, I thought you said he was known. Sorry. Oh, he might you be. Know, um, I'll, I'll, while you're talking to Jamie, I'll look him up. So if, you, if you can make a coffee live I, on the I, podcast, I, I, I can look you what, up on Wikipedia. Go on, go. I, d- I don't know if you like coffee, Jimmy. But you got <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a big fan. I was, I was very envious of you grinding away on your coffee machine there. <laughs> I am... Um, <laughs> yeah, I do like I do like a coffee. Like I say, with the three kids and I've kind of um, I, I smash it quite a lot. To be honest, I'm a big fan. But yeah, going going on to Sightsy, I mean, he played very well that day, and again, it just shows we've got. Um, I've seen, you know, since I've been at Oxford, there's some very very talented boys there, and their their ability to go and find some talent in different leagues, i.e. the um, League of Ireland there that is very very good so they've they've done well because we had Gavin White before who's who got a move to Cardiff and he was he was brilliant and um you know if he if he finds um a consistency to his game in the championship he could he could go on again he's he's got a lot of talent a lot of ability he's got a good chance and um Mark Sykes we've got he played very well that day and scored the winner so he's becoming more consistent I think that's the key that Mm. there's players level with a lot of ability and um, uh, a lot of energy and they can stand out in games it's just trying to find that kind of level of professionalism and consistency off the park and in training every day to be able to produce it week in week out we've shown at our football club that um, we've got a lot of players um, who have got a lot of ability and the ones who found more of consistency have uh, gone on uh, to, to higher leagues already but we're hoping now we can sort of all go up the level together and they get the platform to, to showcase them within our framework because I think that's a good that's a good place for them to be if we can get in the championship I think this uh, what I've found out about the Irish League is and it, it's certainly the case of Paul Smith who came from um, yeah. I can't remember who he played for nor nine, but I know they're horrible um, sorry <laughs> listeners Linfield are Glen Torn's main rivals and the Antichrist of Ireland. Anyway, um, and they judge him on his sight. And I also, on how he's, you know, his slight build, how small he is, they don't realise he's playing the Irish League, he's played GAA, he's played, the, he's a tough little character and he, you know, the, the Irish League finds you out quickly. But also, I think there's a kind of a, I spoke to someone in the QPR that you know well, who was a manager who said, should we say nameless, but liked umbrellas or didn't like them being the case. Yes. And, and I kind of got the opinion that he kind of felt that players like Smith and others from the Irish League didn't go through the, the school system of, you know, the academy and this and that. Therefore, they weren't proper footballers and had to prove themselves more. And I find that quite sad. Did you find that was something that happened in your career sometimes as well? That sometimes kids that don't go through the academy are, are kind of judged wrongly in that way? I think that you, the, the thing with it is, is that as a footballer, you get the opportunity, and this is what I love about football, is to 
every time you play, show people that nothing matters where you come from academy, where you've come from non-league, you've come from the league. Right? It doesn't really matter. People can have their opinions on that. But ultimately, if you show people what you can do, it all goes out the window because you prove yourself, right? Mm. So I, I don't... People are potential football snobs, shall we say. And I think that if you are like that, I feel that as a coach or a manager, potentially um, narrowing your own view on players because it doesn't matter to me, especially with the way I came through, that, you know, I was like a scrappy dog, you know, how I played. You couldn't teach someone how I played football. I didn't come through an academy and it showed. I had to practice very hard. Not technically, I'm not as good as other players that I've played with. But the desire can can, mm. can get you through because you're hungry to practice every day. You're you you're you're resilient in games, and I've seen that with um, Smyth. I've played with Smyth, and and both the boys I'm playing with, or I played with Gav and with Saitis. I feel that from that league, or potentially from non-league, you get a different kind of hunger than lads who have come through an academy system. Where I sometimes feel with the conventional route that their love for the game isn't the same as some <clears throat> of the lads who have got the who have come from. This is obviously not the whole people because the majority, no. you know, and the per- the perfect way and the, the the best way to have a rounded career would be to be like the most all rounded player coming from an academy. I get that, but the hunger you can't buy hunger, and I feel that the desire and enthusiasm, the hunger to get better, to they realise the opportunity they've got. I can really see it in that type of player. So as a coach, I'd be like, you know, you have to have different types, but I would be, I've seen it that I feel that they have probably a bit more desire and hunger because they, they played at that level and they don't want to play. They know what they've been given and the opportunity. Now, the, the other side of that is when they do get a good move is can they keep going and not go, oh, suddenly I've made it. And um, ah, that, point. that, and now that that's obviously a trouble because if you come from non-league and it's not on much money or same with those kind of leagues. The, the one thing I found with um, so when when you get an academy grounding and a background, then obviously mm. you you know you know more probably about say nutrition and sports science and because you've you've been uh, in that environment from a young age. Where from non-league and from say like the the lads who we've mentioned there, they they just play football. Now it, it's a great it's a great thing in one hand because they just don't care about the sort of pressure. They just they just playing like they're playing in the park. And I saw that with Smythe when he first came over. I see that with Spikes and with Gavin. That's a big thing. But then obviously to sustain that for a season, you have to learn quickly. And it's not their fault because they they don't know about it, but about injury prevention and um, sports science and nutrition and how to live like a full-time pro to try and get to the top is very different from playing non-league football and the mentality is very different so there's a lot of pros and cons with both but I, t- I take people on face value and um, their effort to want to get better and that's what I've seen with those players and um, it's funny because I was sorry Kevin go ahead sorry, go. I'm just jumping There's, in because I've done the research go Con- on. Connor Ronan of uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers on own at Blackpool is from Rochdale um so it's not quite... His dad is Irish and he's played no. under 17. Smythe came from Linfield as well, remember that? <laughs> Yes. Please be careful with the swearing <laughs> on the podcast. Sorry. However, um, <laughs> the best bit of all... I've just discovered the, the best-named football team I've ever come across. Conor Ronan started his career age 12 with Copperpot Juniors FC. What a great name. 
Lovely. Quite good. Chigley or Trumpton. Um, oh, while we're talking, shall we take a short break for the Paul Hutton anecdotes? It's a good time to drop one yeah. in. So, Jamie, this is uh, my friend Paul Hutton used to work for Sky Sports News, uh, or Soccer Saturday, and um, Capital Gold in the good old days. He's come up with 24 anecdotes, some of which we can't use. Um, so, would you like to choose a number between 1 and 24? Just the chance that we already may have taken it, but just choose a number between 1 and 24. If it's free, we will play that numbered anecdote. Jamie, have you? Okay. Yes, uh, 22. That hasn't gone. Good choice. Okay. So this is anecdote 22 from my friend Paul Hutton with the appropriate music. I've got one. I know this is normally Paul Hutton's territory, but um, my favourite football radio report of all time was from about 2004, 2005. We shouldn't actually mention this because it, does actually, it was actually Stuart Hall. Obviously, Stuart Hall has gone on to far worse things, and we probably shouldn't talk about him, but it was him. <clears throat> Mark Pugach. <laughs> I'm still laughing about it now. Mark Pugach says, right, um, we haven't been to Ewood Park for a while. Stuart Hall, Blackburn Stoke. Stuart? Hello, Mark. He says, Stuart, can you mention, talk about the game? Nothing to say. Oh, he said, what's the score? It's nil-nil. Anything, any action at all? Nope. <laughs> Excellent. Stuart Hall there, and then about... Ten minutes later, we'll go, we'll go around the grounds. Ewood Park, Stuart Hall, Blackburn Stoke. Still nothing. <laughs> and that was his report. Was, two, was just two words. But, but it was, and the end became it was nil nil. And he he just talked about something else. Yeah. He said, Stuart, there must be something else to talk about. Well, talk about the weather. But he, it was a nil nil, and all he would say was nothing happened. Still nil nil. Still terrible. Still awful. I had <clears> that on a on a Tuesday night. <laughs> now in the week, in on a Saturday on Soccer Saturday, obviously with so many games, and, you know, especially if you were one of the reporters who was just on a line with a caption and never um, never envisioned, um, you won't. They only went to you when there was a goal. So on a Saturday, you could sit there and just watch the game, and that was it. When it was a Tuesday night, they'd, they'd often cross to you a bit more often because <coughs> there were fewer games going yeah. on. And one week, I remember, I used, always used to want to write a chance down early so that if they did come to me three or four minutes in, I could at least talk about something. And I was at Oxford versus Watford. And again, this dates it because it was at the old um, manor ground in Oxford. And about a minute into the game, Tommy Smith, the striker for Watford, is put through one-on-one with the keeper, runs along, puts it a foot wide. That was the last chance I actually wrote down in the entire game. It was so catastrophically awful. It was just such a terrible game. And people that often would say to me, oh, you're so lucky you get paid to watch football. True, really true. However, when you're paid to watch football and the game is abjectly terrible, you can't leave early. And that's the problem. You're right, Steve. Nice new windows you got there. Where'd you get them from? Seasonmaster.com. Seasonmaster.com. That's right, Seasonmaster.com. It's a great price, did a fantastic job. And when it comes to secondary glazing, they were my first choice. Was that Seasonmaster.com? That's right, Seasonmaster.com. But, Mike, I've got a question for you. What's that, Steve? Why are you in my house? One of Paul's many funny anecdotes. We're going to run out at some point, so I might have to get him to do some more. Um, but, Jamie, sorry to interrupt you with a, with a ridiculous feature. Um, there'll be another one later on. We have my friend from Sparta, Rotterdam. But conversation back onto the, the academy side of things. Well, obviously, we're supporting the team. I do. 
we do get players out of non-league. You look at Joe Piggott, I mean, who started his, obviously started his career at um, Blender Charlton, and Mitch Pinnock being one of the, the two that I think both played against you twice. Um, but they've both, especially Mitch Pinnock's case, he's had a job. He gave up when he left Arsenal as a kid. He ended up getting a job working on building sites, doing screeding on floors and stuff. So now the fact he's now a professional footballer, it kind of, I don't say it means more to him because he grew up sporting not, not this team, but that perspective of being a footballer who's had a job and now you're playing League One, you've gone from making or polishing floors to playing at the stadium and light inside 18 months. So that must mean more yeah. to, to them than players who've always, like at the age of nine or six, who joins Chelsea's academy, age six. I mean, what a six yeah. It, it it does definitely, but I think what's tough is that it's very it's very hard that if you get to a certain age and you're not affiliated with a club to get into a club and get an opportunity. So those guys have done great. So that's the kind of that's the um, it, it's very hard because the, the perfect way, as it were, is to be in a club and you you learn how to play football with the best coaches because obviously. At, at academies, you've got better coaches than, say, you know, someone's dad who was coaching me. So it's like that showed when I first went to Wimbledon where the other lads technically were better. So I had a massive gap to, to do. I was prepared, obviously, to learn. And I kind of used my skill set to have a career and, and didn't try and change that. But the, um, the, the lads that you say and other lads who come from non-league, like I said before, is... The hunger is different because they've gotten there late. They know the opportunity is the um, is there, but they, it's got to be taken quickly. And the enthusiasm and the, and the drive they've got, like you say, because they were working jobs from leaving school potentially, and now they've got the opportunity yeah. to make a living playing football. So it's not it, it's very hard to say what's the ideal way to come through because it's probably tougher to come through the non-league because you're leaving it so late and it's so competitive. Even if you've been in academy and you're an outstanding player to get into that first team, to come from non-league to then push them out of the way and get into the academy is harder. So it's it's not the route that you potentially is the grade A route to come through because it's so hard to get the opportunity. But if you do and you come through, I do think it puts you in terms of desire and hunger in an unbelievable place. And I've seen that throughout the years. Um, so yeah, that, but that's you know, what I, I see. I'll be honest with you, but I think it, it's something you, you said that for those who don't know, I do another podcast for QPR fans uh, called Open All Ours, and we had Jimmy on. And, and you were, you're always saying, not always to be fair, but you're saying, like, I might not be as talented as this player or as that player. But I think, to be fair, that's kind of gone through your career because you've come from Exeter, Plymouth, and up that way. But to me, there's, every player's got a rule on the side. And I, and I think, and I, I can talk with experience of the things you play. You know, Adele certainly took us up that season, but we wouldn't have got half the goals we did without you absolutely hammering fullbacks to an inch of their life and the mistakes that were caused. And way talented more than a lot of the. And it's really sad because when we went up that season, I was really looking forward to it because I thought we've got a really good group of lads here. Um, and I really hope we don't change it all and bring in someone like, I don't know, Mark Bloody Hughes. Or someone like that. And it's just such a shame because I don't know what you think, but I think we got rid of Warnock way too early. And oh, yeah, it was I mean, a big mistake the club made. Massive mistake. I think uh, as a regret as a football club um, at the time, there were too many runs on the ladder missed 
to going from winning the championship to being in the Premier League still now. And if we had done it um, at a bit of a slower pace, trying to go from a team that needs to stay up in the Premier League, which would have been unbelievable for however many years, to then become established, to then become get a better infrastructure, to then um, add um, a better quality of player to sustain us in the Premier League and then look at potentially creeping up the Premier League, which is ridiculously hard anyway, then I feel mm. it would have been in a better place. Now, they've learned those lessons. And like I said, we touched on it last week, is that I feel that now the experience they've had, we just hope and, uh, that doesn't happen again when they get the opportunity to go up, which I'm, I'm praying and I'm sure they will. So I feel that like a, a great example is um, you have to have a way of playing that can get you up into the championship, uh, get you up from the championship to the Premier League, but is also sustainable to get results in the Premier League. So you have to be able to, to play and um, keep the ball. Now, I think that the team we had and the way the manager had his plan, I feel that we, um, obviously you always need a couple of additions, but they've got to be the right type of person, first and foremost, to buy into what that manager is going to do. And I've seen it with Sheffield United now, um, with mm. Chris Wilder. I think that he he's certainly the boss. And um, I know because I've got friends there, their training's um, unbelievably competitive and um, higher tempo and at a level that it doesn't surprise me one bit what they're producing on Saturday because they've kept the nucleus of their team and the ethics of how they play and they, they add a couple of players within that but they have to work within that framework and he's been allowed to do it. I think you can't go back in time but I think that obviously that's something that would have been a better model and we all know that. Um, so, um, But like you said, going back to talent and how you perceive yourself as a player, I think that um, obviously I played with the best player arguably that I've even seen in Adele in terms of talent and, and quality um, uh, technician. And I played with Ali Fallen, who's ridiculously oh, yeah. technically and uh, out of his world player. Um, so I, I've been very lucky. I've played with some top players. That, um, is that you have to have talent to have a career in football, obviously, and to get to the Premier League. I, I get that. I'm not underplaying um, that. But... I recognise what I could do very well. I, I spoke to our academy the other day on a, on a Zoom call with our manager, under 13s and 14s, and I said to him, my biggest piece of advice is be unbelievably good at what you are because they, they can't have 11 players like me to win a league and you can't have 11 players like Adele to win a league. You have to have sprinkling and you have to bring something different to the side to make it balanced. And I did that in the way I did it, which allowed other players to flourish at what they did and the same with me so as long as you I, I concentrate everything I put into and I improved bits of games of my game that I wasn't quite as good at but I really really play so the manager knows what they're going to get and it can help the other members of the team so that's what I've always done The game, the game I always remember you from Jimmy to be honest with you is Derby away I don't know if you remember that game and... Yeah yeah of course I do yeah and um, it was one of them things that, you know, I'm kind of, you never give up. It's, I think a few of the other lads had kind of thought, we're just not at it today. We're just not going to, we're not in, which was weird because I thought all the way through that game, we were actually still, even though the school would suggest otherwise, we weren't actually too far away from them. You know what I mean? We actually had just thought, just get one, just get one. And that's the game I actually thought to myself, Jesus wept, this team could actually go all the way. And 
you, you, the one thing I always say about you was you never let anyone put you down. It was like it wasn't just about your pace. It wasn't about the good sense of gravity with the ball and everything else. It was determination and everything else. And you can't teach players that. And it's so good because my fear is a lot of kids get that kicked out of them. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's the modern footballer is about this, it's about that, it's about the other. But you need players with that determination, with that ability and, and, and that skill. Otherwise, we all become clones and football just doesn't go anywhere, if that makes sense. We need the Jimmy Matthews. Yeah, you, think, you need the, as well as the Adels, you know? Yeah, I think that, I think one thing that I've noticed massively through my career is that I uh, go back to like the hunger side, side of the game. Is that I, I, I see kids now in the academies and I have done for maybe last six, maybe last seven, eight years, right? Even that long. And it's getting more and more that they're very robotic and they're being taught a brand of football that's all exactly the same. Now, I don't mm. feel that they've got anything about them, like any guts or any real steel about them anymore. And I see that on just a day to day basis or the, the willingness to practice on your own. It's all very, controlled and now with sports science it's like oh they can't be doing too much training I was out there no one could have told me you've got to stop training you've got to stop getting back I'd just do it I, don't, I wouldn't let anyone say to me oh that you've done a bit too much on your legs it's all very easy now in terms of and I don't know if you're if you're making players that are going to be able to play all the way through at like a at a level until they're way beyond 30 anymore because people say with sports science players can play longer and longer I don't see the mental aspect of players being able to do it because the way they're being brought through, they're not tough anymore. I don't see it. And it's, it, it's a shame because it's all so, so competitive now at a young age. I honestly see the, the love of football being coached out of them at an early age now. And I disagree with it. Well, it From an unbiased point of view, how, what kind of player would we have had, we as football would have had, with Adel Tarab's skill and the Jamie Mackey attitude. Yeah, with, with his skill, with his skill, you'd have a good player. <laughs> yeah, sadly. You, yeah, um, yeah. I mean that that that's um, it, it's such an interesting one because people say, "Is it?" I look at it from my perspective and say it's harder to have that kind of talent because I feel that like the things that I'm good at, you can basically control. Um, very easily but I say that and then I see so many talented players who don't have flat out um, commitment to the game so maybe I've realised it isn't actually hard it isn't actually easy to have um, a strong mentality to to your work so I think you find that the players who have got both sides of it are the players who have top Premier League careers and go and win go and win multiple trophies, I think. And they are very, very few and far between like the, the one in 10 yeah. million players that we see who, <laughs> who for me, growing up, are, are you like gigs, ears, your skull, you know, that, that era mm, of, yeah. of players. So, um, okay. I was going to ask you about your, your Scotland, or about your Scottish career playing for Scotland, but also, yeah. if, if anyone says, right, pick up one incident from your career I reckon most football fans that aren't QPR fans because that's probably you know they'll think about your career it would be the fact yeah. that you nearly you nearly handed the title to Man United in 2012 single-handedly oh, yeah. you scored the goal that put QPR or QPR but, but 2-1 up uh, at Man City last game of the season of course and then there's those two injury time goals um, for the greatest game of all time nonsense um, but you scored that, that goal did you think of the 
the enormity of that game. As the game finished, obviously you lost or you were disappointed. But did you kind of feel the atmosphere of Christ that I've just been involved in a, a proper sporting sort of iconic moment? I think that the not straight away because <clears throat> all I cared about is that we'd stayed up in the Premier League. So yeah. I didn't care about the game um, because we lost as well. So it's like a really weird... Um, I can only now... Oh, looking, I could only look back after and go like, it was weird that you're happy and we lost, which never happens in the season, obviously. So mm. we weren't happy we lost. But ultimately, our whole aim that first season, getting promoted in the Premier League, was to stay in the Premier League. It was like getting promoted again. It was like, that was my, from my goal to, I wanted to stay with QPR in the Premier League for years and years. So my aim was like, right, this year, stay up. And then I would have reevaluated it and gone like, we need to start up again, but potentially with a couple of games to go and then so on, so on. So I think after the game, the only thing that mattered to me was that we'd stayed up and I got the opportunity to play in the Premier League again the following season. So the, the whole kind of like Man United um, and Man City winning the title, I didn't really care because us staying up was like our title. That was my season yeah. within a season. Do you know what I mean? So that is all since then when you look back on the kind of magnitude of the game and um, Man United on the pitch and they could have won it then it's obviously you realise that it was a big game if you see what I mean it was the, the reason it was such a big game is because you had the opportunity to stay in the league that's the way it was a big game for me and do you know what I will, do you know what I always remember that game is your header which I have to say was one of the best headers I've seen from a QPR player and the shock of the City fans' faces because they were quite close to me <laughs> and the fact that I was stupid enough to drive there and I couldn't get drunk out of my head and celebrate. Oh, no, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. You didn't Never think going to stay up, Philip. No, <laughs> no, I was stupid. I booked myself as desert. We took turns and it was my turn to drive stupidly and instead of me saying, do you know what, lads, I'm going to pay to get the train. Fuck it, I don't care. I'm going up there. I said, all right. And when, once you scored the header, I was thinking, I wonder how much a B&B costs in Manchester <laughs> and they can get themselves back. But um, as it turned out, but you know what? We, um, we give City a good game at Loftus Road that season as well, you know. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, and you've run, I mean, I don't think, if I'm being honest, I don't think the City defence liked you very much because you ran them absolutely ragged. Yeah, I, um, I think obviously I... Away from home, I'd play... I mean, I played all the games, or majority of the games that season. Obviously, I recovered from a broken leg, so I missed the first month. And then mm. I I, um, I came back, and it was this was like what I'd worked for my whole life since I was a boy, to play in the Premier League. And, um, you know, to do it with some for that club as well, after, you know, getting promotion and, and how close we had become. And with some of my friends, that was the main thing. You know, I was playing with Joey and... Hilly days are on the pitch it was like this was like brilliant you know so I think that like I was in a team a lot of the time away from home because obviously we probably didn't have much possession but I could carry the ball uh, and relieve pressure and, and get it into the final third so I got a lot of game time playing playing in right midfield so I think yeah I, I love playing you, you want to play you, you'll hear a lot of players say, wouldn't you, you want to play in the big games? And obviously you play, what, uh, you know, well over 500 games or however many games you play in your career. And you play loads of games that are just sort of like, and you, you see them every week, don't you? All of us do. Mm. You, you'll go to a game and it's kind of run of the mill some games, aren't they? And it's just like, oh, that's passed you by a bit. And it's like, but the big games are like, 
I don't know, it's just got that extra edge about it, hasn't it? And it's like those big games that come to Loftus Road, we always did well. I found the run in that year, we beat big teams in the top six, you know, at home. And we were, we were a good side against the um, top teams. And in the Premier League, the trouble you have is you think on paper you're playing someone who, oh, they're not in the top half of the table. We've got a chance. And they'd be unbelievable because of the level yeah. of, the, of the team. So that was, that's what's really hard in the Premier League, that every week, you've got someone who could easily beat you 5-0, you're not in a game. I think you've that with Bolton. Exactly that. Exactly that. Is that in, in our divisions that we play in now, and, and you'll see this at AFC, is that at home, AFC can beat anyone in division. I think it's a, it's a tough game. Now, if you're, if you're playing in the Premier League, there's no such thing as a game that, oh, you should win this. It's, it's tough every single game, whether you're home, away. It's like a point in our league, you know what it's like now, a point just kind of clogs you up, doesn't it? Points are no good. But in the Premier League, you even savour a point, you know? Anything you can get on the board, it's it's massive. Away from home, a point is like a big win. Yeah, especially if we lost 5-0 at your place (laughs) as well. We're not going to mention that game. At home, yeah, no, at home. Can I ask ask you a a non-QPR question for a minute, sorry? Of course. Um, I think at the start of this season, I read somewhere that you had said that if you scored at the open end of um, the stadium, <laughs> that you would get a ladder and climb over the, the, the ladder and run into the car park behind the goal. Now, <laughs> if that was true, I just I would love to have actually seen you score. Even if it was against my team, I'd be happy for you to score. But I please tell me that's true, because if it's not true, that's, that's a, what a bizarre thing for someone to make up. Is it right, true? Right, so the, the only thing that's not true about that is that I was going to use a ladder because the fence isn't that high, so I was going to kind of shimmy it up. And, uh, oh, OK. We, we, we were having banter, and the lads were saying, if it's the end of the season or if I'm going to retire, which hopefully I'm not, I'd love to, I'd love to plan. I'm, I, I, to say, I'm really, really enjoying playing for Oxford, and it's just, it's just great. Playing football. I had a lot of injuries at the back end of my time at Cooper. It's so frustrating. Um, and I was so disappointed in myself. It's just nothing I could do. I just couldn't get fit, which I, I've been lucky. Well, I had some bad injuries, but I just couldn't get over. Now I've, I've had a clean run and playing with some really good young players. I'm just really enjoying it. So hopefully I can play on. But they're saying that if it was my last game, would I would I jump over the? Um, I said to the lads, look, I'm going to jump over the fence end at the end, and that's it. You won't see me again. So the only, the only thing is I've got so. I'll have to do it on one of the other lads' score and I'm gone. And then the gaffer will have to decide what to do. So um, it was said in jest, but um, I've, done, I've done a lot of stupid things. Well, you could have done it now and raised about £22 million for charity. That'd be quite fun. Um, right, I'm going to give you two good, you do a quiz. This is a quiz based on the 2011-2012 season for Queen's Park Range, obviously the season that we've just been talking about. Yeah. Okay. No, shit. Go Jay, on. In that season... What do you mean, shite? You're going to be unbelievable at it. What the hell do you know about? <laughs> I'm 50 years of years, I can't yesterday. Carry on. You started 24 league games and with Man, you made seven appearances as a sub in that season. However, four players made more appearances off the bench than you did. Five, in fact. I've seen five. Which player with 13 made the most substitute appearances for Queen's Park Rangers in that season in the Premier League? Off the bench. Off the, who made the most appearances off the bench for QPR that season in the Premier League? I'll go. Who's going first? You go I'll, first. Whoever goes first. I'll go. I'll go. Sean Wright Phillips. No, he was equal uh, sec, equal third with eight. 
Oh. This is the first season of the Premier League. I'd go Patrick Adjaman. Patrick Adjaman did not make any appearances off the bench that season. Okay. So no. I'll go. I'll go Adele Tarat. Um, Adele Tarat um, only made three appearances off the bench. Paul, last guess. Tommy Smith. Correct. Oh, Tommy Smith right. made thirteen appearances off the bench that season. Started only four games. See that himself there, didn't I? Jesus. And we he, all he's good, he's, he is a good player, though, Tommy. Oh, really good player. We had his brother Jack for a whole season, and now they've, they're now running an estate agent. So they've got a change. Yeah, no, they, they're great. He's a great lad as well, Tommy Smith. He's proper, proper good, proper good player as well. Yeah, I remember him. He's a good player. I remember seeing him for Watford, which annoys some friends of mine who don't like Watford. Anyway, right. Oh, yeah, great oh. career, Tommy, yeah. He did. He's a great player. Now, do you know what? Talk to Tommy Smith, though, just just to keep it on the QPR thing. Yeah. The um that, that Watford match, which is one of the strangest games I've ever been to, when we won the league, oh, um, yeah. we couldn't celebrate because of the FA and the Ali Forland thing, blah 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 blah. But we did anyway. We um, did celebrate as well. Yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I saw the roof coming in the street. The, the Watford fans. I mean, it was so tense, wasn't it? And Tommy Smith just scored that goal, and it was just like. Half the uh, half the stand to our, our, our left went absolutely bananas, and it was like the Alamo for the MQPR fans. But that was possibly, and you were part of it as well, Jimmy. One of the best QPR performances up with Cardiff as well. For just, I mean, we've only been promoted a few times to the top league, so that that must have been an amazing feeling because no one expected that at the start. Right, of the now, season. I, I, think- I would, um, I had, I broke my leg, so I was still, I was, I wasn't playing, so I was no, there. no. But yeah. um, oh, it was mental, yeah. It was, um, what unbelievable! And that, well, we kind of didn't know about the alley thing straight away, so we celebrated as if we got promoted. And then I think we woke up with stinking hangovers and gone, still buzzing, now ready to go out again. And then we kind of got told, and we were like, oh, it'll be all right." And then it kind of got a bit serious for a while. <laughs> it did, and then on the Saturday, just before kickoff, Mark, um, Mark Clements from BBC was outside. He just told everyone, and it was just. Mad. I mean, the, the whole thing. And I felt, do you know what? I felt, I felt for Ali Fulham because, for those people who don't, who don't know Ali, he's probably one of the nicest people in football. He's been in the podcast. He's brought his kid in. Um, he, he was working in a cafe in Chiswick. Um, he set his flat on fire having a barbecue outside and had to call the fire brigade. One of them was a QPR fan. Blah blah blah. Just an amazing character. And if anyone didn't deserve that pressure, it was him. Do you know what I mean? It just seems so unfair. But yet, yeah, it's so such a QPR thing to happen. Well, yeah, he, yeah, Ali, Ali, like everyone kind of like, because it wasn't, we're not looking at Ali for it. And he was like, <clears> I mean, well, easily one of our best players, ridiculously mm. good player and um, unbelievable lad as well. And everyone loved him. There wasn't one person who didn't like Ali. He was, he was like a proper ledge. So um, he, the way he is, he seemed like he was like, oh no. And we were like, come on, mate. It's not, you know, everyone just backed. It was just, we, oh, it was just, crazy wasn't it because the whole thing but it worked out luckily do you know the, the worst thing I don't want to take you back to it too much the reason for anyone listening to this the reason why Jimmy did miss that, that season with the broken leg was um, the kind the kindness of that idiot at Blackburn who then taunted you as you were leaving the pitch do you know I, I think in all my time going to football I've seen some pretty foul things Jimmy but that that sticks in my mind. That that must for you that must have been horrible just to listen to that idiot go on like that I just I don't know what would possess him to do that to a fellow pro. Yeah, well the um yeah, no, nah, he was disgusting. He was just like, come on, pal, like I'm not um 
I, I was like, obviously, I broke my leg, so I was in, I yeah. was in pain. He's just, um, yeah, that that was just um, mental. The lads, the lads let him know about it though in the car park. I think so. It was, um, it was all good in the end. Oh, so they wrote, they wrote a nasty letter. Good. I'd like to hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Stiff work. <clears throat> right, let's move on, <laughs> move on from broken legs. A, a slightly cheerier question. Question two from the... Oh, sorry, Kevin. You still did no, 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 it's fine. I've got, I've got a few. I'm, but, right. So, in that season, 2011-2012, Paddy Kenny started 33 of the 38 league games in goal. Who played the other five? Murphy. He played zero. Radic Cherney. Radic Cherney. Correct answer. Correct uh, answer. So this is this is um, the, the 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 decider. Best of three. You got one each. Okay. Are you sure it wasn't Murphy just registered himself as Radic Cherney. No. <laughs> it says zero. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. Okay. So that season in the league, top scorer Haider Helgerson with eight. Second top scorer Jamie Mackey seven. Third top scorer Gibral Cisse six. Who, with three goals, was the fourth top scorer in the league that season? Tubbs. Sorry? Adele. No. No, he only got two, along with five other players. No. Three. I'm trying to remember the games. Uh, it wouldn't have been falling because he didn't score many. It wouldn't have been I, think I, know, I think I know Go it. on, go on. I'll give you my second guess. Um, Bobby. No, also two. Oh, no. Uh, in that case, it's uh, midfield. Oh, Joey Barton. No. Yeah, Joe. Guess again, sorry. Who did you say? Joey Barton. Correct, Joey Barton. Oh yeah, of course he scored Joey against Swansea. Wolves. I completely forgot that DJ Campbell played for you guys. Completely forgot. Yeah, about. he did. Yeah. Was his so, name Dudley? Was he Dudley Campbell? Is that why he preferred DJ? Um, that was his name, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. He was, and you know, the thing about it is, it's really weird. He was actually a massive QPR fan as a kid. Yeah, was he? Uh, yeah. He um, up, he he ground, he there you go. So he, anyways, did, did, he, did he say he was a QPR fan when he joined? I think he, or, he, I think he grew up close to the ground, if I remember. Yeah, I think it was like White City State. I think he's one of the kids yeah. of the state. I think he so. Was, but we had, we had some strange players in that time. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, the... Um, they had a hundred. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, it must have been... I mean, it, I, I always say this, you know, you got QPR made the four-year plan, but also we should have done a follow-up that season as well of how not to run a club in the Premier League with the the whole Mark Hughes thing. The um, I mean, we had Mark Bowen on the podcast once and he was... I think I told you this in the QPR pod. He wasn't very sober. Well, he certainly didn't seem sober. And it just seemed to me that they, they just didn't get QPR at all. And would I be right in saying that you had to earn the respect of Mr. Hughes to have a conversation with him? Yeah, it's hard work. You know, it was like, we're, we're the coaching staff and the manager, you're the players. Oh. So that was it. It was like you and us. It was like, it didn't, it, it's like there no. wasn't any, like, there wasn't any bridge between the two. And it was like, um, yeah, and that's what was tough. You know, you didn't feel you didn't feel any kind of trust either way. And that's tough, like for the, especially coming off the back of playing for Neil Warnock, where it was like, mm. um, it, it was all inclusive, you know, it was, uh, so it was very different. Um, not, not a style of management that um, I'd say I enjoyed. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't particularly a big fan of him either. 
Jimmy, if I'm being honest. And it wasn't just because of results, because, listen, we've had some really bad people down there who have been just there to make money. I get all that. And if the club are going to pay them, they're going to take it. You know, that's, that's part and parcel. But it was just, his attitude was all wrong. And, and, and it, was, it, it wasn't the QPR way, as I would say. We've always been a quite tight-knit club with the fans. And I, found him, I found him very arrogant. That was the trouble. Way too arrogant for his ability, yeah. if you ask me. That, that thing he said, I've never had a club relegated. And you think, well, you've given it enough frigging goes. Um, yeah, and then we did. And well, then he, well, he, well, we basically did the next year, didn't we? So, um, yeah, yeah, that that was it. My, my, you know what? My sorry, sorry. conversation would be, talk to Fulham fans about Mark Hughes. You guys, have been very, you guys have been very polite. I know you won't talk to Fulham fans, Paul. But if you could talk to Fulham fans about Mark Hughes, you would find common ground, I think. Uh, the least common ground I'd find with Fulham fans is that, um, it, actually, it probably maybe a hit with the Chelsea a little bit, but then uh, I don't know. Then flipping clappers, I just I just can't cope with them. The, the, oh, no. Everything that everything that's wrong in football is, is Fulham. And I, I remember the, the greatest quote I ever heard, Jimmy and um, Kevin, was my mate was in the corporate bit of Fulham one day, and this Fulham fan was going when they, you know, that horrible time they beat us six 0 and that horrible orange cap, and oh yeah, he, around, he goes. Go on, Joey, tweet that. And I thought, that just sums it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're allowed to sit with other fans in that stadium. That can't be possible. Yeah. It, it didn't end well. I was amazed by that. They're behind the goal when they score at that, well, if you're watching on TV, on the right, whatever that end's called. But yeah, just pockets of away fans erupt whenever they can see the goal. It's bizarre. But I've never seen it, that. It, it ends up, in, when we play them, it ends up in a free-for-all. Um, Rightly or wrongly, because it's just it's just weird, and they, you know. It, but they, they they had didn't they? They had the bloody sign over us, didn't they? Every time we played them, they flipping battered us. Uh, and then I think we beat them. I think Bobby Zamora scored the first time we beat them, and that was long overdue. It's just just they just had the Indian sign over us. But that that QPR side. Do you know what really annoys me about it? And sorry, Kevin, I'm not meaning to QPR podcast, but I'm just says to Jimmy, you are, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, I said this to Hilly the other day on the thing. We never got the credit we deserved. That football team was bloody amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, that, and the, yeah. year, the year in the championship, it was unbelievable. Yeah. If I've looked back at the review that they put on, the, on East, then it was unbelievable. Because I haven't really like, watched like, the season in that. And I just looked and I thought, oh my, with the, the balance of players they had was unbelievably like, they got it so right with all the different types of players in it. And just some quality players, but some proper men. Where... That was probably it more than anything. It was just littered with proper good pros, good players and um, good lads who, um, who, who understood the football club um, and played very good football, but like winning football at the same time. So it's just, it's just an incredible season. And like we all, we're, we're all tight now and we all speak about it so fondly now that it was incredible. Have you seen Ali Forland's interview on um, Love for the Words? Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, just amazing. I love that fella. I just yeah, he's 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 a hero. He's he's proper proper footballer, proper fella. Like that's unbelievable. And you know what, as well, Kevin, you've, you've probably seen it with, with AFC in terms of you just know when you've got a special bunch of, of players and and they care. And it was such a shame when you know I think someone got into Fernandez ear and just told this is how you run a football club. And I just wish someone had been there to sort of say to him, no, don't listen to these people. Keep that group of lads together. And and then sparkle some magic on it with other people because we 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 I reckon if we'd have kept that squad together and just utilised it properly, we probably could have stayed up without the hassle that we had that season and also stayed up the following season because then you could add to it. I mean, we had two World Cup goalkeepers at one stage; it was bloody insane. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, we added some very good players. Like, we got the opportunity to sign Joey, who's a very, very good Premier League player. And mm. he, he, like, players like that, you know, you can, add, you can add good players. You don't have to add loads of good players. You need to add, like, experience from the Premier League, but just add them in the right capacity, in the right amount of them. Yeah, it's bizarre how clubs just kind of get stuff wrong from day, well, not from day one, but you just see things from miles off going wrong and wrong. And that was from an outside point of view. That was when you had all those um, players on six figures would have been ridiculous for a club yeah. of your size. <laughs> Don't mean to be rude, but it's QPR's not a club that you can think. Oh, where's the where's the money coming? It's not coming from from attendance. You look at look at Man United, seventy eight thousand people every week. Okay, that's where the money comes from. I mean, yeah. Not Loftus Road, I love that ground, but it's not it's not that big. And you think, well, where's this cash coming from? That you can afford to play Julio Cesar as your as your backup keeper. I think it's hard for owners as well, is because obviously um you get excited that we're from the championship, you're in the big league now, and it's like worldwide, like massive, it's the best league in the world. So like it is hard mm. for them they're getting given uh, <clears throat> they're getting given the opportunity to sign sort of household names and it's hard for owners I think to start with and um, you know when they look back I think they um, they'll look at the approach differently and that's what we're saying is that the football club's going to be there a lot longer than say any manager that we didn't quite get on with or any players even if they were good players or bad players the football club's there for forever and that um, if it can be used the next time it happens and they can sustain themselves in the Premier League then at least it's been used for like good in a way, you know. Yeah, true. Well, I think we're a long way away from that. But the other question is going to ask you, not a QPR question, Jimmy. But what when you were playing for Exeter, if someone had told you then you'd be scoring the winning goal against Liverpool in the same division, would would you believe that? Is that what you always thought you could end up doing? Did you yeah. always have that faith? I think the one thing that took me through my career was my self belief is incredible. Now you have to have a thick skin playing football. And, People would say I'm unrealistic or I was a dreamer, but I used to say to my friends at Exeter, I'll play in the Premier League. I actually believed that, but I didn't just believe it and then do nothing about it. I believed it and I was the last out on the training pitch every day and I practiced and I practiced. And I just, I didn't do anything bar football at that time and I was playing in the conference, but I trained so hard every day because I didn't, I didn't just say it on a whim. People thought, oh yeah, everyone says that, you're playing in the Premier League, whatever. But I actually believed it, but I followed through with it and I, and I made it happen. That's the difference. I, I did believe it and I never stopped believing it, but I did make it happen. So, Didn't you just... Good time for another small break before we talk about your Scotland career. So, uh, on every episode except one, we talk with fans in a feature called Tales of the Disappointed, where we talk to supporters of clubs who have perennially underachieved. I think that's a nice way of putting it. Um, so, last week... Well, last episode you heard from David Alexander, who supports Clyde. I caught up with a chap called Eric Van Schaik, who supports Sparta Rotterdam, who's Rotterdam's third club. Thanks very much indeed to Myron Kassenbrun for making this possible. So what makes a Sparta Rotterdam fan? Why would you not choose Feyenoord, for example? And now you've got a chance to find out. Here's Eric. <laughs> And here we are, episode five's Tales of the Disappointed. And today I've been joined by Eric Van Schaik. Hi, Eric, how are you doing? Hello, I'm fine. Good. Now, Eric, you are the first person that we've interviewed on this section of the show 
that in which you are mobile. Can you currently tell our listeners where you're coming back from and where you're going? It's quite exciting. So yes, uh, so uh, this, this weekend um, I was in Belfast. Um, I went for the international game of the Netherlands away to Northern Ireland. And I'm currently on the road just south of Glasgow in Scotland, um, heading back to Dundee. And um, tomorrow I will be visiting the international game of Scotland v Kazakhstan. Good grief, you really are a glut of a punishment, aren't you? Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at all, um, just because England went through. But, so, but congratulations to the Netherlands, anyway. But Paul, my co-presenter, of course, is a Northern Ireland fan. He's not happy. Has Stephen Davis's penalty actually landed back on earth yet? So uh, it seemed to be going rather fast. Um, Rumour has it, it went into orbit and hit Jaap Stam's penalty kick of 2000. <laughs> the, the balls have collided. Excellent, that's very funny. Excellent, thanks for that. Um, so let's go... Quickly then, so you are a supporter of Excelsior Rotterdam, who are, for the uninitiated, the Rotterdam's third biggest team. So my question to you, and I don't mean this to be any way disparaging, because I support London's 12th biggest team. What made you support Rotterdam's third biggest team when you could have supported Sparta or even even um, uh, Feyenoord? So what made you support Excelsior? Uh, well, um, I have been going to football um, when, I was yo- uh, when I was young. Uh, went to, um, I went to a non-league team, but that wasn't Excelsior. That's just my local team in um, the city of Gouda, where I'm from. That's about uh, 10, 15 miles from, uh, from Rotterdam. And about 20 years ago, when I started, co- um, when I started uh, college, I came into contact with people uh, who went to Excelsior and they, they invited me to games. And, well, almost immediately I got hooked to, 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 to the atmosphere at the game, to, 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 to the football itself, because um, I, I had been going to, to non-league football, but never to league football. And um, after been going a couple of times in the season, I decided that uh, the next season, the season following on that, um, I would be taking a season ticket, and well, I've been going ever since for the past ten years. So the question, the next question that I always ask is: Did you find your club, or did you, or did your club found you? It, it found you, then, didn't it? I guess because you, you've kind of it, you went to it, and it, you could have gone anywhere, but it it seemed like the right place for you to be on a Saturday afternoon if that's where you play. Yeah, so uh, I um, I got invited over um, actually because. Uh, it's uh, at that point uh, second level in the Netherlands. It was a Friday night, ah. which was uh, which was good because at that point I was still playing football myself on Saturdays, so I could just go to Excelsior games on Fridays and then play myself on Saturdays. Perfect. And you're from Gouda, or no, Halder, the famous yes. cheese city. But I, one of my favourite addresses, I, I I've worked in Halder as a company I used to work with. Their address is the Dutch for Southern Hemispheres. Is it Zelderlijk Halfland? Is that right? That's a good pronunciation. Yes, there is. Zelderlijk Halfland. Yeah. So it's the address. It's number four, Southern Hemisphere, Gouda, which I think yeah. is marvellous. Anyway, so hello to Technolution uh, NB. Anyway, so can you give a bit of description about, A, maybe people aren't aware of what division you're in, and then maybe talk about, there's a bit, bit of a history about the club, and also sort of looking at, Maybe there's one particularly famous ex Excelsior player that people would know. So yes, yeah, so well, the the club has always been a small club, as you mentioned. It's the third club of Rotterdam, 
So we are not a big club. We are not. We are not. We are not famous as um, in the world. But um, if you say for a player of Excelsior that everybody should know and will know is uh, Robin van Persie. Yeah. He he started playing for Excelsior when he was five years old, and he played all his younger years until he was about fourteen or fifteen years, and then. Um, at that at that point, he moved over to to Feyenoord, the bigger team in Rotterdam, and well, as it goes, uh, he played uh, he played for two years there, and they introduced him as their own youth player. But uh, we know better. Aha, uh-huh. that's that's a decent that's a, a pretty decent ex player to, to pick out, Robin van Persie. So, what is I mean, what makes an Excelsior fan that? So what's the best thing about being a sport? I mean, if you talk to supporters of clubs like my team are near the bottom of League One, there's so much more I enjoy out of that than being a fan of a Premier League club. So, I mean, obviously you're, you're only in the Dutch second division, but what, what is it that makes an Excelsior supporter? Is there one thing that you can sort of pick out? Uh, no, I don't think there's a special thing that makes an Excelsior fan is just that um, uh, the thing that maybe links us is that we all did choose a, a smaller club over a big club because there is an, a very big club in the city like Feyenoord. There's also another club um, in Rotterdam is Sparta Rotterdam. Yeah. And um, well, we all chose for um, Excelsior and well, I know a couple of fans. I know Dodewal. Don't know them all. I don't know everybody's reason, but I know quite a few. We just said, okay, I like going there. Maybe uh, not to a big club, but a club where I know people, where where, where we can uh, just yeah. enjoy games uh, the way we want to. And uh, maybe one of the um, one of the plus sides of of going to a smaller club is that for us it's never hard to. Uh, to get to get tickets because, well, home games. So sometimes they tend to send out when whenever we play uh, top flight Dutch Eredivisie. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it, it's it's um, away games or wherever we go. I've hardly, I can't think of one or two games that I've been in trouble of. Hey, I want to visit this Excelsior game and it will be hard for me to get a ticket. Another so time. May, may, maybe that's one of the perks of going to a very small club. Yeah, no, you're right. And, well, yes, you you know everybody, so that's a plus point. It's 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 it's, it's um it's uh, maybe a little bit um how, I'm not sure how, how it's a, it's a social it, thing, but... isn't it? Part part of being a football fan is a social thing. If you go to a big club, you go to a new Tottenham stadium, you might not see anyone you you know for for months, but you go to your games, I go to my games, I see the same people every week. It's you kind of it's yeah I agree I know what you mean it's the, the, the social side of it and um, that's always always the fun thing so is it what is your favourite I've always asked the same the same questions to people what is your favourite story from your time as an Excelsior fan my, one of my friends got headbutted and knocked unconscious by a police horse uh, when he, he was a Utrecht fan so that's that's his favourite story he supported Utrecht for thirty years and his favourite story is being knocked unconscious by an animal so have you got anything particularly amusing that's happened to you in the last 20 years of being a fan? Well, yeah, not no, involving police horses. No, m- m- maybe, maybe not so, something like that, but uh, we, we have been um, 
the club is basically um, too um, too big for the second level in the Netherlands and not big enough for the first level in the Netherlands. Ah. So we almost every season that Excelsior plays, we are um, either in, uh, in the chance of going up or in the danger of going down. And um, at the end of the season, um, uh, if if you play playouts or um, or playoff seasons to go up or down, uh, that tends to be the most um, uh, the tense or the most enjoyable uh, part of the season. Yeah. Because that, that, that's, that's always uh, big games, uh, games that that, that 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 get into better atmosphere, better crowds, um, and of course, uh, if you have the chance with your team to go up, it always gives something extra. So there is uh, one particular game that um, we played, um, we played to go up to uh, Dutch Eredivisie. And we actually played Sparta from Rotterdam, so it was oh, wow. two, teams, two teams from Rotterdam playing against each other, and um, at that point it was the final, so they were highest level Eredivisie, and we were second level, and we played a double a double game uh-huh. against them, and um, basically uh, it um, it it would be decided on the second left second leg of that double game, who would be top level and we will be second level so that's um, one of the games that comes to mind is is that game and uh, our home game was a goalless draw and the away game um, had everything in it and um, uh, towards the end of the game um, we got a penalty kick and, and we missed it oh, no. and then um, <laughs> and then they um, they scored a goal and because uh, because we played um, home games and away games, and um, uh, in the European system, that's if you got uh, if you if you scored the most uh, the same number of goals, that's um, away goal. Uh, ah, the, most the away goals away count goal double. Count. Yes. So we got um, on aggregate the, the same score, but we scored the away goal and they didn't. So because of this very late very late goal, we cost. Them to relegate and us to promote, and because it's two, because yeah. it's two Rotterdam teams, it was yeah. that, that was a very special game. I can imagine being in Rotterdam that night must have been a little bit unusual. So yeah, so you you've scored a last minute goal, you've promoted, you've got promoted yourself, but you've relegated your bit of rifles from the division above. But that's definitely better than being headbutted unconscious by a police horse. I think that's fantastic. Um, before you go, so you're being you are currently being driven through Scotland. Are you being driven through Scotland by my friend Martin Katz by any chance? I am. You are. So Martin is driving. Martin is an AFC Wimbledon fan who's Dutch, uh, but is based, based in Dundee. Uh, this, is, this is international football at its, at its, at its height. So say hello to Martin for me. Um, not this, this isn't a Wimbledon podcast. It's a general football podcast, but I just thought I'd add my own bit of, uh, bit of link to there. So, uh, Eric, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for the reminiscences. Uh, I think we've learned a bit about what it means to be a, a fan of, of uh, Excelsior Rotterdam. So thank you for your time and good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thank you very much. So that was Eric Van Schaik, a supporter of Sparta Rotterdam. Next week, we have a supporter of Kievo Verona by the name of Andrea Pasquin. And thanks to um, Alessia Giorgiuti for setting that up. So I know people. 
his hand in it. So finally, before we've got to let Jamie go, he's got kids and he's got other stuff to do. Dinner to make. He's got, he's, he's got dancing to do. I mean, he's, 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 I've I got dancing to do. I've got cricket in the garden. I've already played a game of football. Loved it. Now I'm out in the garden again in a minute. The kids have been up saying, come on, we're playing. Stump. Well, apologise to the, to the junior Mackies. We apologise to keep me. So Scott, how did the Scotland thing come about? Obviously, you're from Dorking. You end up playing for Scotland. I presume it's, it's a parental link. But how about you've, you've got senior caps. That's, again, so Paul saying that you played for Exeter next in and then you score a goal a winning goal against Liverpool you're playing for Exeter City now you're, you've played international football it's an extraordinary journey really yeah it is really but I, I mean my, my grandfather's Scottish um, he, he's not with us anymore but um, my, my, my dad's uh, side of the family uh, are Scottish and his dad so I, I was playing for QPR and when I first uh, went there I obviously started playing well and whatnot and um, basically got the call. Uh, my agent said to me, Scotland want uh, you to represent them. And I was like, um, brilliant. What, what a chance by international football. Obviously, um, I qualified through through the, the heritage of, of my family and I, I got the opportunity to play for them. So I played against um, some massive, massive teams and um, yeah. an experience to play at Hampden Park. And it was, uh, I said earlier, actually, I did a thing for, I've been doing some bits for QPR actually, um, on their website and people have been asking me questions and one was about the feeling of it and it was like um, being totally honest the overriding feeling at the end was that it was didn't feel in the end quite right and never felt quite right if you see what I mean because yeah. of, um, the way I talk and where I'm from it didn't um, I was accepted up there and, and the lads were great and um, got picked and and I enjoyed playing in the games and everything but um, like I say, I can't quite put the thing on, but you'd probably understand it didn't feel quite right in the end. Uh, but it's something that obviously I look back extremely fondly about, and um, and my family and I are extremely proud that I got to represent our country, and it was um, a, a big achievement as well. But um, overriding yeah. being honest is that it never felt a hundred percent right. Because in mid school for sorry, you scored for Scotland as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, a couple of times, and I just I played against you know uh, some big teams. I got to play against that Spanish team who, who ended up winning a World Cup in a qualifying. It was an amazing experience, and like I say, I remember there. them. And and the family family were there when I played at Hamden, and you know it was incredible occasions, and and something as a family we're we're extremely proud about. And we've got we've got my cap, so. Um, I'm just, I, I could go along and just say, oh, it's amazing representing your country and all the rest of it. But I wasn't brought up in Scotland, hadn't been to Scotland. I, I don't speak the Scottish accent or my dad doesn't even, uh, but my grandfather did. And so that's why I was extremely proud and something that um, I'm buzzing that I got the opportunity to do. So, so whose who, who shirt did you get? And when you played at Spain game, did you end up with a, oof, with a question. top player's shirt? And is it is it in a frame uh, somewhere in your uh, yeah, Xavi Alonso. Oh, fair enough. I've heard so, of him. Yeah, he he was incredible. Uh, him and Iniesta played in midfield, and that, I mean that team was a joke. We we lost three two on the night, but it was an unbelievable game. Um, See, so and the atmosphere at Hampden, you know, then it was like packed and stuff. It was just crazy atmosphere. Um, and and when we played away, they travelled like ridiculous. The fans were incredible. So it was um it it it, it was. Unreal time, but like I say, I keep saying that something never felt a hundred percent right. Um, whether it be in interviews or 
or or stuff that I did um, when I was there. In, in your defence, though, Jimmy, I remember Northern Ireland played Scotland at a friendly, and I went down for that. And I think you were unlucky as well with the timing because the Scottish fans were very angry at that time as well. They they felt that the manager were underachieving, that the country was underachieving, and stuff like that. There. So probably that didn't help either. There wasn't the unity that many Scottish sides would have had before that. Yeah, probably just. You know what I mean? I don't want to be rude about that. that you know, I can't even talk about it because Northern Ireland suffered the same thing. Just sadly, it was maybe just the wrong time as well. Yeah, potentially. I think that it's like since for a long time, we've always been striving to qualify for like major competitions. We we couldn't quite manage to do that. So there was a lot of um, there was probably a lot of attention with on the team and the players getting selected and obviously um, being uh, not from Scotland directly. Um, you can feel that when you're playing for them whereas if you'd have chosen Northern Ireland you would have gone to the Euros and we could have got drunk together there we go that's it (laughs) (laughs) just need the all important Irish relative but But it's it's, it's kind of debate that kind of like goes on isn't it that like in terms of like um, playing for your country as in like your country and having people that aren't directly and qualify as a Northern Irish fan, you've seen that yourself, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, totally. But then people like Mike Taylor and stuff that came in, but they did a good job. But yeah, but then again, if they were around in the 90s, Jimmy, when we were blinking awful, they probably would have said they hated it. It was the worst experience of life because we weren't winning many games. We were getting beat by Malta, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? So it, I think it's national football. It's all about the timing and it's all about what the, that country's doing. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. It's, it was much. It's far more stringent now, anyway. But you think when, when Paul and I are much older than you, but watching football in the early eighties or mid eighties when you were born, it, when you hear and you heard a player from from the Republic of Ireland interview on TV, and they were actually Irish, it was a shock. Because you think if they'd done the research, probably Tony Cascarino had no Irish relatives whatsoever. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> that is a brilliant story, you know. That's when a, I first said that, I thought that was actually run, but yeah, that is crazy, isn't it? That is that's crazy. But fair play for doing like with Mark Lawrenson. I mean, Mark Lawrenson was one of the best defenders the, uh, our top level of football's ever seen. And people were saying to him, "Why did you not play for England?" So I got picked to play for Ireland at seventeen. How could I see the future? I thought, "Yeah, I'm. Go- I want to play international football. I'll do it." Yeah, and, same, and obviously, I could play for them. So it wasn't like I just decided to play for him. It was like my grandfather was Scottish. Like we, exactly. we, we yeah. Scottish, you know, like part of our family is Scottish. So it was, I was immensely proud to play for him and so were the whole family. So it's not that. It was just playing um, for them. And when I, when I look back at playing for them, it, it, you know, people say the pinnacle of your career is to play for your country. I didn't feel that. The, the pinnacle of my career has been playing for Kuka in the Premier League. I'll take yeah. that. I just realised how old we're getting. Kieran Dyer is 42 in December. Kieran Dyer? Is he? he? I played him at QPR, yeah. Mm. One. Well, you think he played that season we talked about? He played once. Yeah, yeah he lasted one. three minutes. Oh, did he? Oh. He was not back in his career. Obviously, he had an incredible career, um, Kieran did, but we, he was at the back end of his career when, when yeah. we had it, which happened with quite a lot of players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember. I'm not going to mention some has-been players, but there's a fella came from my United called Song. Uh, he, yeah, I think, but he was signed to sell early. Oh, I don't know what the whole thing was crazy. You couldn't make it up. He, we, I'm pretty sure we signed him so he could he could sell um, airplane tickets because he wasn't very good in the pitch. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure that um, um, it's true. It's like they, they had a they had a they had a little plane and everything for him. 
I don't know if you remember that, Jimmy, in the club shop, they sold a, uh, a Asia plane with his name on it. It was incredible. Well, he, we, we did a tour of Asia for two weeks and he was like David Beckham, like, incredible, you know, and he had, he had an amazing career at Man United and won like all the trophies. So, um, yeah, it was crazy. But we, obviously, we were getting players who were on the back end of their careers that had great careers. So, um, I had the utmost respect for them because of the careers they had. So, I took them on face value with that. But then at the same time, I was coming up from my career and had the chance to play in the Premier League. So I wanted to play with players who were fully at it then, if you see what I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> Brad, well, what did KT was one of the strangest players I've ever seen in my life. But what a what an absolute... Do you know what? I, I, we never knew what that fella was going to do next. Nah, sent off to a 35-yard pass or just try and kill the linesman. He could do, yeah, he could do, he was off the cuff. He could do some ridiculously good things. And then I was just waiting for him to get sent off the whole time. <laughs> but, but you know, you know, he thought he was standing for Glasgow Rangers. Oh, no, wasn't that, 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 is that true? I know that was Mumbai, wasn't it? Mumbai thought he was, he was standing for Glasgow Rangers and not Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah, he was crackers in. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy, we'll hold you up anymore. And, um, Brilliant, mate. Always, always nah, a pleasure. Great to chat. Nah, I love it. It's great to chat. And thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Oh, cheers, Jim. Thanks right. so much. Thanks. You're a good sport. Enjoy the cricket, big man. A pleasure. I'll be, I'll be out there a while now. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, take care. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you. So there we go. Jamie Mackie, we're getting, we're getting good guests on. Can we keep thinking right. we should make these things a bit shorter? And then we, <laughs> then we end up with people who are really interesting to listen to and talk to. We end up with great long ones. Maybe the next time we have a player on, they'll be really dull. And they've got nothing to say. But so far, we've done very well. That's only happened to us once on the on, on the other podcast. And I know you're on another podcast as well. And I'm on the podcast. It's only happened once, and that was painful. And that was with um, uh, Joel Lynch. And that was one of the most strenuously hard interviews I've ever done. Yeah, it's, I it's, was literally pulling my teeth out at the end of it. If you've never done an interview, and a lot of people wouldn't have because they never need to, having a someone that you really those not that you don't take to, but they're just hard to speak to and they don't really give you very interesting answers. It is really difficult and you can, you can, feel, you can feel time slowing down and you can hear the clock ticking. That with, with, we spoke with Jamie there for well over an hour and it just kind of just disappears. And the last podcast we did, episode eight, was uh, just under two hours. I think this is going to be slightly shorter. But um, yeah, no, he's great. What a great guest. We could have talked to him a lot more. Um, but, you know, the, one of the weirdest... played for MK Dons before. Um, well, he, 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 yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole, but he explained that, I mean, before we went on, we had a little chat about that, and I totally understand his reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's a job. When you're that age, when you're 18 years old and your, your club moves, do you think, oh, well, I'm not going to do that under principle? You go with the team because you, know, you don't know what you're going to, if you're, maybe you're 32 or, or older, then you think, well, actually, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't agree with this. And you can leave, have your contract cancelled and go somewhere else. But 18 is your first chance of playing league football I, I do from a, from a footballer's point of view I understand it and I'll, I'll draw a line under that and say no more anyway so but, but you know I'll just, can I just go back to the Joel Lynch oh, interview I'll just yes. this little thing quickly I set him up oh Snoopy now you just not get on the podcast this week I'm sorry go, go on away from the podcast go on Snoops go and play with your toys <laughs> um, is that he um, he came on I set this whole line up for him of um as a centre-half. And I was quite proud of it. I thought about it for quite a while before in the podcast. As a centre-half, do you sometimes feel like the drummer in the band? You know, you do all the hard work, you turn up every week, you're on tour, you do everything. And then along comes a singer, 
cracks out one song as opposed to your 20 songs you've worked tirelessly on and takes all the glory. Yeah. It was a long pause and he went, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and right. it was one of them ones where I'm going, I need to go to the pub. I need to do the pub yeah. now. And I just want, I want it to cry. <laughs> it was just like, oh. It's when really? I, I, I do yeah, a lot. I, I drop in a lot of um, cultural references when I talk anyway. And when you realise mm. how, how much younger these footballers are, when you mention something and they go, yeah, I'm 24, it'd be fair. And they go, oh, God, yes, they are. But you mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> Scooby-Doo, and they don't remember a time when Scooby-Doo didn't feature Scrappy-Doo. Which really and, do you know what, and do you know what, as well, even my daughter, um, <clears throat> when the first time I was properly, and you've got children of a similar age, um, yeah. properly mortified is when she turned around and said, was you around when Queen Victoria was around, Dad? <laughs> when she was young. And I, I literally, that was almost as bad as the Joel Lynn interview. Not quite as bad. But going back to Jamie, what I liked about him as well, he was honest. And what he said about the snobbery in football is something that I've always believed in. Because you see more players, and I see players in the Championship and outside the Premiership. And yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of them are good enough to get a bit of a goal. And it's a lot of snobbery that they don't have maybe the right time, the right place, the right scouts, whatever. But there's so many, there's, there's a lot of Jimmy Vardy's out there who just never get the chance that Vardy had. And that's, I always think that's a real shame. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to name who this was, but I, five or six years ago, mm. I was speaking to somebody who used to work for a Premier League team, okay? Right. They were, at the, that, that point, unemployed. They knew the first team coach at that club who said, can you go, do you fancy doing something at the weekend? Because he he's had nothing to do. And he said, I've got you two tickets for this game. Go and see this game. I went to what game it was. It was a Conference North game, okay? Two tickets. Right. Conference North game. Keep your eye on this player. Tell us what we're thinking about, looking at him. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so he went to watch the game. And he said the player that he was asked to watch was okay. Didn't really, didn't look too interested. Didn't, he said didn't really catch his eye at all, right? But there was mm. another player on the other team who said, just looked. He said, that was Conference North. He looked championship level. He just looked a class above. He, had, he was fitter than the rest of the players. He's bigger, stronger, scored a couple of goals. I'm not going to give you any clue who this was. So he went back to, this is true, he went back to his mate who was the coach and said, that player you're looking for, didn't, he didn't strike me at all, didn't seem to have. But there's the other player. And do you know what the, the guy said? That he didn't think this other player was right for them. He said, how would you know without seeing him? He said, he ain't got the right kind of name. It's not a footballer's name. Do you know what I mean? Oh, dear God. Genuinely, that's a true story. He didn't, the player didn't have a footballer's name. And that's the reason why they didn't look at him. So is Jamie Vardy a footballer's name? But if you get, look at a, go to a, a website of, North, of Conference North or Conference South and look at the players' names from a, I don't know, let's pick a game. Let's say, let's say let's go to a Wildstone game. Look at their fifth game of the season. Look at the team lineups of those two teams. Do any of those players have footballers' names? Not that it matters. I'm just, I'm just. I was like, really? Did no? He said he just didn't. He sounded like a footballer. I would believe it because the sad thing about football is there's a lot of people in football who are just kept it because they either played the game, they know someone, it's a friend of a friend. Um, and you're better off employing Mr. Magoo as a as a scout than some of these people because they just they just don't get it. Or don't forget it's someone's opinion is but I mean all scouts is someone's opinion as well a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of these yeah. scouts will be they have a certain build of I mean that's the other thing. They, they, they want to play like this, they want to play like that. They, 
and it's all about physique and this and that. And it's like you, you, you've seen it with um, you team, obviously with my team, there's some players you think, oh, if only we could have a proper manager here, that player would be such a different player than the sold and they never make it. You think, because I think the demoralising thing for a lot of youngsters is being sold or having to go back to the Northern League route again. And that's a very, very, like, it sounds like Jimmy Mackey, from what he was saying, there's no way you're going to told him he wasn't going to be a footballer. I think he, he had that determination. But yes. some of these kids, especially what Chelsea do with loaning these players out left, right and centre and stuff, it's, it's actually a, more in my opinion they get these players so young and they, they, they just they go for the, 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 the quantity over quality and a lot of decent kids I'm sure don't make a career and other people who do make a career aren't as good as some of the people that drop out and I've always said that's really sad it's, it's a case it's a face fitting exercise a lot of these a lot of times has to be doesn't it yeah because I guess it works with our companies so is this person a certain you know, are they fit for my company you get, you get have a job interview come down to the last two just thought the other person would suit the job better than you, and maybe that's the case with football. It is a business after all, and you've got to fit the player into the squad. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an inexact science, isn't it? But hey, I've, I've got a question for you, by the way. Oh, okay. Like a, a quiz? Yeah, well, yeah. I didn't do too bad in that quiz, actually. I was quite surprised because my memory's normally shot to pieces, so I did. I'm quite pleased myself considering the hangover as well. But that's another story. <laughs> How you managed to get a hangover in a lockdown? Well done, me. Anyway, um, the question was, we talked last week in episode eight about <laughs> Newcastle being taken over. You did? We did. It was just breaking through, blah, blah, blah. Little did we know <laughs> at this time. And you're thinking, could it be worse than Meg Ashley? Could it really be worse? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's just... <laughs> it was... That'll teach me to... Yeah. I'd, I'd... So, uh, this, this, the, um, was it Amanda Stabley? I've kind of not looked about Looked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amanda yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is she? No idea. I, I'm pretty sure she's never played for either of us, though. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to have just Her name just popped out about a couple of years ago that she was interested in buying them. But I don't know who she is. I guess, I guess she... Is she the wealthy person or is she the figurehead at the front? No, she's a figurehead. And I don't think, before anyone says anything, I don't think she's a female footballer ever. I don't think she's worked in football, but she's oh, okay. obviously in finance somewhere along the line or whatever. And she's uh, a broker for the uh, Saudi-led coalition who is... Uh, there's a Newcastle fan basically saying that he didn't care about human rights records and things like that because at the end of the day, they just want to win football matches. <laughs> and, um, Brilliant. You know, you, you know and I, I kind of get that as well. It's like, you know, <laughs> football and politics, blah, blah. But it's not just human rights. issues. quite yeah. a lot of things they do that are particularly nice. There's certain things you can think, oh, yeah, I don't want to be taken over by Disney, but okay. But um, yeah, a country with a human rights record that's not great. Um, other human rights records are also available. Right, before we get in trouble with the Saudis. Um, and did Disney take over Portsmouth, the guy yes, from Disney? They did. Yeah. 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 Uh, they, they, they were fan-owned, and then Disney came in. So, hey. Don't mention Mickey Mouse, because that's not Disney. Is it, isn't it? it is, isn't it? Yes, well done. I did mention Portsmouth and Mickey Mouse in the same sentence. I thought it was not. Um... Well, you wouldn't do that, don't know, mate. No, 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 I wouldn't do that. No, I'm not saying that whatsoever. Anyway, we better stop because, Paul, we'll go on for talk for hours. So, thank you for joining us on um, episode nine. Episode ten will join us. You'll join us, no, but episode ten will be with you shortly. With uh, we don't know if we've got as a guest. We'll have someone on. Uh, as a few... I've got an idea. You have got an idea. Well, hopefully that idea will come true. We have another Paul Hutton's anecdotes, and we will also have hopefully a song. We think the version of Nesson Dorma will be coming our way shortly. And we have um, Andrea Pasquine, who is a supporter of Chievo Verona, who have got a lovely kit. The blue and yellow kit is lovely. 
And I, I certainly recommend the, the book that was written about them as well. Which one was that? A Season with Verona. Oh, yes, of course. I forgot about that. That's yeah. a good one. So the, the, is, that, is that Kievo or Hellas Verona? Which one? Because there's two. Yeah, I've just realised it's the wrong one. But still a good book. No, I, I, my, one of my favourite football books was The Miracle of Castel di Sangro, which is the book about the uh, regional Italian team that were uh, financed all the way to almost Serie A before people realised where the money came from. And then we won't talk about that anymore. So thank you, thank you for doing this again. Um, this has become a far more regular thing now. Obviously, we've got less to do. Um, although, as it is my day job to make podcasts for other people, um, hard to believe, I know. Um, we're going to do more often with, with more exciting guests and as we go on. So Paul Morton was great last time. Jay Mackey, thank you as well. Um, so, um, well, we, we always end up by saying enjoy things. We, we, we can't. So I've not watched a single ball kicked in the last five weeks. I've not watched any football documentaries. I've not watched any football programmes. I've not watched any old games, which is a very strange thing to do. It's like being in the close season, which would have happened in two weeks' time anyway. Um, so, Paul, thank you uh, once again for your time and thank you for, uh, for your Snoopy, your dog, for taking part as well, taking a vested interest. Thank you. He's on appearance freeze, mate. Is he? Okay, what does he take? Is he out of biscuits or does he want meat? No, 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 God, no. He's um, dental, dental, dental shoes. Loves a dental shoe. Loves okay. a dental shoe. Yeah, I do miss having a dog with the dental shoes. They're extraordinary things, aren't they? Absolutely bizarre. Um, was, was your coffee good, by the way? Oh, do you know what? I, I thoroughly recommend the, the Levante coffee machine that takes a mile. It's the best coffee ever. And oh, I know all right. the coffee's available, but not in my house. Lovely. Well, there we go. Well, hopefully, maybe we'll get a free one if we keep advertising. Say the name again, Paul. <laughs> I just say it long, didn't I? I think it's called Levante. Levante coffee. Excellent. But I'm, I'm terrible with names. You know what I'm like? I get everything wrong. I, I, I even get my own name wrong. I, when I was a kid, I used to call myself Paul Pinney. But there you go. You don't need to know that, listeners. That's, that, 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 that's a long time ago. I was only, I was very young. And also thanks to Season Master, the, the uh, Aldershot's finest, in fact, Hampshire and Surrey's finest double glazing uh, and secondary glazing company for supporting us. Thank you, Season Master. Thank you, Gary. Um, that's all from us. So you will hear from us Brilliant. again very shortly. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>